you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn to the the small book, or the small letter, should I say, or should I say the wee letter of of Jude, just before Revelation there. I've been here long enough now, I should say we really, shouldn't I? What I'm going to do this morning, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to start verse 4. Uh, our, our base reading will be verse 9, but I want to start at verse 4 just to give you a bit of foundation <clears throat> of what this verse actually means. So Jude, verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance though you once knew this, how that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation. He had reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of, of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, dares not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, our Lord, this morning, Lord, we just commit your very word, everything, Lord, into your hands. Lord Jesus, that isn't about a man in a pulpit. Lord, it's not about anybody, but about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Lord, I earnestly pray, Lord, that there is a message, Lord, from the very throne room to your people. Lord, if there is anything, Lord, that you would not permit me to say, then, Lord, I pray you shut my lips. But, Lord, let every word that come forth out of my mouth, Lord, be a message from you. Lord, your church, Lord, your people, need a message from you and not from a man. They need to see Jesus Christ this morning and they need to see his word. So Lord, we just ask that you come and have your way this morning in your house this morning, Lord. Jesus, have free course. Move from heart to heart and from seat to seat 
and bless every head that is bowed here this morning in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving you thanks. Amen. You find this small epistle <clears throat> isn't really read too much anymore. It's usually overshadowed by the book of Revelation. But if you do read it, you'll find it's a very strong letter to the early church. Jude doesn't hold back. He, he, he lays it all out for them in this, in this very small letter. And Jude actually, um, or the Greek word for Jude is Judas. And he was actually the Lord's brother, if you like. But if you actually look <clears throat> in the first verse, it says Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. You notice such was the humility of this man that he doesn't even mention that. He just says the brother of James and that he was a servant of Jesus Christ. It gives you a feel for the kind of calibre this man was writing this letter. But you also find as well in verse 3, this is what he says. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of, co of the common salvation which was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you, that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude's writing because there is so much apostasy starting now to come into the, the early church. And he's writing this and he's trying to encourage, but he's trying to rebuke at the same time and say, look, we've got to start standing up for the word of God. We can't lie down doing this. We've got to stand up. We've got to be firm in it. And you'll find also, which I find remarkable when you, when you go through his letter, he gives them a history lesson. Now, I'll go through a few points of this. But you'll also find in Acts 7, when Stephen was stood before the Sanhedrin, he did the same thing. He gave them a history lesson. He said, you could see it right from the beginning. The prophets, everybody. But you rejected it. You rejected him. You didn't know that he'd come. And you rejected him. And he said, the cut, it cut them to the heart. They couldn't stand to listen to him anymore. And that's why he was took out of that synagogue and he was stoned. But the glory of the Lord was on that man. Whenever you read Acts chapter 7, the glory of the Lord was on him. And you could see a man that had the conviction of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he saw the heavens open and he saw him. Jude does a similar thing here. <clears throat> in, in verse 5, he outlines Israel in the wilderness. And that they were destroyed by their unbelief. In verse 6, he tells of the, of the angels that rebelled and that they were kept in everlasting chains for the day of judgment. In verse 7, he tells us about Sodom and Gomorrah and how the lust of the flesh and how they gave into it and they went after it and that they suffered vengeance of eternal fire. 
And in verse 8, he talks about filthy dreamers that despise dominion and speak of evil dignities. Well, this is a reference to Jeremiah's day. It was the prophet Jeremiah who was having to deal with people that were constantly coming out to, to the nation of Israel with false visions and dreams and telling them that everything was okay. They were all right doing what they were doing. And to despise dominion, in other words, means that they would not come under the authority of the God of Israel. And to speak evil of dignities, that means that they would not accept the deity, the majesty of who God was. That's what it means. So to recap on this, they weren't believing the word of God. They were in rebellion. They thought that because they come under the blood, it was a license to sin. And they were entertaining false visionaries and teachers into the church. I want to ask you something. What's happening today? No, seriously, what is happening today? You see, the church has so much lost its way. It's so far gone astray that they're turning to anybody that might be able to draw in a bit of a crowd. They're turning to anything, any gimmick, anything that would draw people in. They say, well, you know what? It gets them in. That's nonsense. These men had nothing. There was no gimmicks. There was no, if you like, even eloquent speakers. You know, the one thing they did have was the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God. And they went out and turned the world upside down. And the church is wondering, what's going on? Why aren't we doing this anymore? Well, I can tell you something. It's because you're not listening to the Word of God anymore. You're not preaching it anymore. You'd rather turn around and say, have a blessed day. This isn't happening. But you see, when there's sin rife in a church, a man has to get up and say, this is what the Word of God says. And we should abide by it. That's our responsibility. Not to come and just tickle your ears and say, you know what, you're loved and you are loved. But there's a chastening to it. And we all need it. Nobody's exempt from it. I've been on my knees more time before the Lord to apologize for things I've done. But we have to. We have to see it. We have to recognize it. And because other churches do it, it doesn't mean we have to. Because it's acceptable in somebody else's eyes. There is one rule and one rule alone. And that's the word of God. That's it. Doesn't matter what I say, doesn't matter what another preacher says. What does the word say? And so when we get to verse 9, and it says, Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, notice he's told them in, in the very early verses, church, contend, contend for the faith. And then all of a sudden we get this verse Michael's contending with the devil. He's making an illustration of something that's happened in history. Church, look what you're up against. 
These aren't men that have had a vision from the Lord. They're in rebellion. And the devil's using them. Recognize it. That's what he's saying. Recognize what you're up against. And he's making the contrast between the two. Because Michael's name means who is like unto God. And Satan means adversary. That's what we're up against. That's what these false teachers are bringing in. Also, you'll know, you'll notice that it says Michael would not bring a railing accusation against the devil. And I thought this was strange. Michael, the archangel, he's the head, the head of all the angels. He's the, he's the warrior. He's the one to fight. And yet he wouldn't bring anything against the devil. And I looked into this a bit. And railing in the Greek is blasphemer. And it means blasphemous. And it means basically to slander. An accusation is caresius, which means to give an opinion or a decision. Now, I've heard this all the time, like, and, and, and many times there was, a, there was a person I knew, and it was always like, I don't know, if the car didn't start, you know, God, devil's coming against. You know, I don't know, the, the piano didn't work, God is a demon, didn't it? You know what I mean? Oh, come on. Probably need a new car if it's not starting. Let's be honest with you, you know. But that's what it gives the idea. Don't give him too much credit. You know, we can give him an awful lot of credit when a lot of times, you know, a lot of the troubles we come up against, let's face it, and caused by ourselves, you know. Really is. I'm, I'm chief of that sometimes. Like, If I could have a holiday from myself, I would. But that's what he's saying here. But also, you find that he does it in a way. There is a manner to rebuke the enemy. And Michael knows that he's not going to do it in his own power. He says, let the Lord do it. The Lord rebuke you. Now, you have to remember something. <clears throat> what Michael is actually saying is, I'm going to let the word speak for itself. That's what he's saying to Satan. I'm letting the word speak for itself. I'm not getting in an argument with you because you're a twister, you're a liar. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to speak with you. I'm going to let the word speak for itself. That's what he means. The word. God. That's what Michael's saying. It's a lesson for us all. We don't come in our own flesh. Don't go in the devil's backyard in your own flesh. Because that's what he wants you to do. He wants you to draw you out in your flesh. Out of the spirit. And into what he wants you to do. But you don't do that. Every time you rebuke something, it's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the word. The word. So then we have this. Disputing over the body of Moses. <clears throat> well, the first thing you'll notice about the body of Moses, I ask a lot of questions when I read these scriptures. And why was Moses even there in the first place? Why was he buried there? Well, you know, why was he even there in the first place? 
And to be honest with you, everything points and it keeps, it keeps in line with, the, with what Jude is writing to the church. The reason Moses has died and he's where he is is because of disobedience. That's what it was. And I'll show you this. In Exodus 17 and 6, <clears throat> it says this. It says, Behold, I will stand before thee, there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt, look at this, smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now notice here he says, smite the rock, hit the rock, and the water come out of it. Now turn to Numbers 20. <clears throat> we'll start at verse 7. <clears throat> It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. Now notice what he says here halfway through the verse. He says, speak, speak ye unto the rock. So notice that. He's told him to speak. So verse 9. It says, and Moses took the rod before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, hear now ye rebels. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? Now, you must understand at this point, Moses had had enough of them. And he was really, really angry with them. He was really annoyed with them. And that's why he's calling them rebels. But Moses was angry with them at this point. Notice the Lord wasn't. It doesn't mention about the Lord being angry, but Moses was. And notice what he said. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? He doesn't mention God in this. He says, must we. Verse 11, and Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. Verse 12, and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Now you'll notice there, he had to head it twice. There was still water come out of it, out of the rock. But you see, Moses was completely in disobedience to what the Lord had said. Even in, in that word sanctify, it's Kadesh. And it, it, what, what it means basically is you didn't treat something as sacred or you didn't honor something. That's what it means. So he's basically saying, you didn't honor me in front of the children of Israel. You disobeyed what I said and you didn't honor me because even that rock 
it was, a, it was a, an illustration of Christ, of Jesus Christ, the rock. So you start to understand how serious the Lord is taking disobedience. How serious Judas is trying to get across how serious it is to be in disobedience before the Lord. This is what the picture is painting. So if you turn with me, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 3. Let your eye run down to verse 24. Look at the conversation that takes place here now. It says, O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness and thy mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven and earth that can do according to thy works and according to thy might. I pray thee, let me over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain in Lebanon. But the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, Let it suffice thee, speak no more unto me of this matter. Get thee up to the top of of Pithgath, and lift up thy eyes westward, northward, and southward, and eastward, and behold with thy eyes, for thy shall not go over this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage him, and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shall see so you can see here straight away this conversation that's going there Moses says please let me over and the Lord won't he said you didn't reverence me in the time that I told you to before the people and then he said give charge to Joshua encourage him because he's got to take this forth it's important We reverence the Lord in all things that we do. It's important. It's important obedience and reverence to the Lord thy God in everything. And this is and this even seems seems very harsh. But the Lord was showing the people something here. He was making an example. Even somebody as great as Moses can get things wrong. He was showing the people this and what was happening. So the people could, could get to grips with what God was saying to them and how holy he was, his holy presence. Deuteronomy 34 and 5, please. Read a couple of verses here, 34 and 5. It says, So the Mo- Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, over against Beth Peor. But no man knoweth his sepulchre unto this day. And Moses was 120 year o- years old. When he died, his eyes were not dim nor his natural force abated. I don't think you'll find anywhere in the Bible that it says that God actually buried somebody else. 
but he buried Moses. And then he sent the Michael to go and protect that body. So nobody could know where it was. Now when it says the devil and Michael contend, uh, some people would say that there was actually a group of people maybe that, that the enemy was using to go and find the body of Moses. Now that may have been so. I dare say it may have been so. And that Jude was just shown as a spiritual aspect of this. But the reason that God did not want the body of Moses found was because if they found where he was buried, you'd have known that they'd ended up building a shrine and worshipping where he was and who he was. The thing is, we, we probably lose fact of what a great leader Moses actually was. Even when you go back to the time when he was in Egypt, if you look into the history of, of, of the Egyptians, they were the superpower of the time. And you have to remember, he grew up in the court. He grew up as, as part of the royal family. He was adopted. So he was, he was an expert in warfare, in weapons, in tactics. He was bilingual. He would have been able to speak many different languages. Well educated. He would have been an excellent leader in peace times, but a formidable warrior in war times. This man, if you ever wanted a leader of a people, you would have wanted this man. And you see, even in the natural, he would have been attractive. His leadership skills would have been attractive to people. People would have come on to him to look where to go. But then when you look at the spiritual aspect, when he was taken out of Egypt, this man spoke with God. This man called down for the Lord to put the plagues onto Egypt. This man lifted up his hands with a rod in his hand and he sees the very sea split before him. Can you imagine Israel looking at this man and saying, boy, what a relationship this man has with God. And can you imagine when he died? What are we going to do now? He's gone. And then they're going, but you've got Joshua. Joshua, you're joking. But what about Moses? What are we going to do? And you can almost see what Jude was saying here in his epistle. Because he's trying to get them to focus on Jesus Christ. Focus on the Lord of glory. It doesn't matter who there is. It doesn't matter who's in the pulpit. It doesn't matter whether they're a good preacher or whether they're not. So you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. You keep your eyes on him. It doesn't matter even as a church. The vision should always be the same. It was the same for Joshua. It was the same for Moses. It never changed. The vision should always be the same. It doesn't matter who's up here. It's the vision of Jesus Christ and where he's leading us. And that's what these people needed to know. And that's what they needed to know in Jude. And you'll find um, in Numbers, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Numbers, yes, chapter 21. You find that Moses actually made a, a, a brazen serpent. And he, he, he put it up on a pole because 
because of the disobedience of, of, the, of the people, they were starting to murmur against Moses, they were starting to murmur against God. So he has to make this, this brazen serpent and he puts it on a pole and he, he stands it upright because the Lord has sent fiery serpents in the midst of them. And whoever these fiery serpents bit, the people died. But he said when they looked upon this serpent, on this brazen serpent upon the pole, it says they shall live. And you'll notice it was a model of Jesus Christ upon the cross because the, the brass represented judgment and the serpent represented the sin, the sin that was taken for us. But you'll notice also when he put this up, I just want to show you this as an example. In 2 Kings 18 and chapter 4, You'll see what happens here. Second Kings 18 and verse 4. And this is talking about Hezekiah. And he was one of the good kings. And he started to reform Israel. And he started to cut, cut down all the groves and the high places. He started to take all the idol worship out. But look what he says here. He says, he removed the high places... He broke the images and cut down the groves. And look, look what he had to do. He broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it and called it Nehushtan. Now you see that brazen serpent. That had been there for almost 180 years. And they'd been worshipping it. Because Moses had made it in the wilderness. And they took it with them. So can you imagine if there was something that Moses made and they started to burn incense and worship it? Can you imagine if they'd actually found his body? What would have happened? It would have led them into so much apostasy and idolatry. And you see even to this day, if you look on the, the badge of a medic or on an ambulance, you see the serpent on the pole, even to this day. And yet all throughout the world, we have Mormons, Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormons, is revered more than the Word of God almost. You have Joseph... Um, Charles Russell from the Jehovah's Witnesses in the Watchtower. How many people has it led into error? People coming along, they put them on a pedestal and then they've died and then they've almost put their word alongside the word of God. I mean, even Islam, Mecca, Muhammad, and even in the Catholic Church. Now, Mary worship. The pray to the saints and all it's ever done is took them away from what they should be doing. I'm going to say something here. It usually gets me into trouble, but I'm going to say it anyway. The devil's the head of religion. He is. Because a religion's a superstition. And I can always say, I don't have religion. 
I have a relationship with the Lord of glory. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And more than ever, that's what we need. Even, even the other day, I was listening to, two, to a couple of people. One was a pastor and, 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 and the woman was his wife. And I couldn't believe it. They were, he was a pastor of a church. It was a massive church over in America. Thousands and thousands of people that used to lead the worship and he used to bring the word and everything. And you know what? He was saying the other day how he lost his faith in God. And now he feels free that he's an atheist. Can you believe that? And you know what I thought? Straight away, I said to my wife, just shows you the caliber of the word in that place. Because I tell you something, if they had a foundation of the word of God, if they knew who he was, if they had somebody up that was proclaiming the gospel, then you know that you know that Jesus Christ is alive and he is on the throne. You know when that fire comes in your belly and you need to proclaim the word of God and say we will go forth because this word is truth and this land and this world needs it more than ever. You just know it. You can feel it. And I feel so sorry for them because they were never told so. They sat there with a wishy-washy word God loves you, all this hairy-fairy stuff. It's time to get real, church. We need to get real with the Lord. Get in that place where we know him. Grab hold of him and say, Lord, I'm not going until you bless me. Till I say that fire of God's in me. Till I feel something move. Till I feel something break in me. I know you're doing something. I'm sorry. People just aren't getting this anymore. And that's what Jude was saying to the church. You're entertaining these people. And you should know better. Because you had the real thing. You should know the contrast between it. Jesus Christ and a false Christ. People are always trying to sell it to you. But Jesus Christ isn't up for sale. He's here to change. He's here to break things up, people. He's here to set a fire within you. That's what we need. Fire of God. God bless you.